A hug? All right, we got everybody. Another success story. So I was thinking about this message, and I, I didn't know when I brought my, my stuff into Pat what I was going to title it. But after it was written, I thought, you know, the title of this should be Got Hope. Remember the John Elway with the milk mustache? Got milk. Yeah. Got hope. Got hope this morning. So we're entering into the Easter, Easter season. And a couple weeks ago, Greg said, what do we celebrate more, Christmas or Easter? It was almost unanimous that we said Christmas. But what happened at Easter was so much more powerful, so much more important. Of course, it couldn't happen without Christmas. But it defines everything that the Bible says from beginning to end. So I want to read three quick passages from Matthew as we get started. First one's in chapter 12, starting at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would like to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we're going to go to John 17. And while they stayed in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were very sorry. Matthew 20. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he took the twelve disciples apart, and he said to them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the chief priests and to the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day... He shall rise from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to bless the words, your word, the words you have given me. Fill them with your spirit and speak to our hearts this morning. Let every ear hear what it needs to hear in Jesus' name. So in these three scriptures, Jesus put the resurrection in tandem with his death. Three times. He told his closest followers, this is the reason that I came, and he detailed exactly what was going to happen. The betrayal part, the mock, the scourge. He said, that's what's going to happen when we go there. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates every prophecy of who he is, why he came, and what was accomplished on the cross by his willing obedience unto death. 
And we saw here in Matthew, by his own words. If you've ever wondered whether Jesus is God, there's a pretty strong evidence right here. He said he would do the physically impossible. And then he did it. He rose from the dead. Uh, when we were in Israel a few years back, we went to two sites that claimed to be the spot where Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The first one was called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's been destroyed by Muslims and other people and rebuilt I don't know how many times. So this one spot is deep in the bowels of this church where they kept excavating it back out. They have on the floor in this big room marked the GPS location of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all of these major parts of Christian, the Christian religion have it cut like pieces of pie, you know, so that they can touch that spot. There's the Greek Orthodox, there's the Roman Catholics, there's the Armenians. I don't remember who all was there, but they all had their piece of pie to get to the spot. I got to tell you, I was really disappointed. I really was. There was a circus-like atmosphere to me. Uh, our guide, Yossi, pointed out that 600 years ago, the Greek Orthodox realized that the Roman Catholics were getting more pilgrims than them. So, they moved this huge rock, bigger than that piano, in the front of their piece of pie, and said, this is the stone that they prepared the body of Jesus on. For a small fee, you could buy a little piece of cloth and a little baby vial of oil and rub that stone and take some spiritual juju home with you. It, uh, I was disappointed. The second one was this tomb carved out of a stone wall in a garden near a rock formation that looked like a skull by a major road into the old city of Jerusalem by the old city walls, outside of the old city walls. It more fit the, uh, the biblical... Uh, account of Matthew or John 19 where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and it was near to the place where he was crucified was either one of these the actual tomb of Jesus Christ I don't know does it matter nope doesn't matter one bit what matters is that there are no bones in that grave there's no body home. In Mark 16, the angel told the women, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. Now, through history, there have been a lot of innocent people died. Some people even sacrificed their own life for the sake of others. 
a very noble act. But one of the big differences between them and the Lord Jesus Christ is you can go to their grave to this very day and their remains are still there. It must be in our human nature that we feel a need to what's the word enshrine certain places where great events took place like when Peter James and John went up on the mount with Jesus and he was transformed into his heavenly being they were in awe oh when it was over Peter said Lord we got to make three little temples here this is too cool And while he spoke, God the Father interrupted him and said, Excuse me, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Not to fault Peter. I'll bet you if I had been there, I would have said something even more stupid than he did. The place is not important, it's the event. That's important. Now some people, to just to do a little housekeeping here, some people have said that, you know, why are all the accounts of the resurrection in the Gospels different? An easy answer to that would be, let's pick four of you and we want you to write down your experience of coming to church this morning. I'll bet they're all different. And yet, Here we all are, in the same place, at the same event. The difference is that each one took through their eyes what they saw. There is an order to the resurrection on that first Easter day. The first thing that happened is three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, started for the tomb. It was still dark out. They were followed by other women bearing spices. When the first three got and saw that the stone was rolled away, Mary Magdalene ran back to tell the disciples. Then Mary, the mother of James, drew near to the tomb and saw the angel of the Lord. She went back and met with the other women coming with the spices. Peter and John warned by Mary Magdalene, arrive, look in, and go home. Mary Magdalene returns, weeping, and sees two angels, and then she sees Jesus, who tells her to go tell the disciples. The other Mary has met up with the other women, and now they arrive at the tomb with the spices, and they see two angels who tell them to go tell the disciples. And on their way to tell the disciples, they are met by Jesus himself in Matthew 28, who told them to go tell... There we go. Somebody's listening. The disciples. There's a lot of emphasis on going and telling the disciples. I don't know why. It was just 11 common men, guys like me, Chris, Rob, 
and Cody and a whole room full of us, just normal guys, who turned the world upside down with the news of the crucifixion and the resurrection. So we're in John 20 this morning. You're thinking, man, is he ever going to get to this? Yes, we are. Starting in verse 1, The first day of the week came Mary Magdalene early when it was still dark to the sepulcher and saw the stone taken away from the, from the mouth of it. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, that'd be John, and said to them, we have, They have taken the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we don't know where they have laid Him. Peter went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher, and so they both ran together, and the other disciple, who was younger, outran Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, but he didn't go in. Then came Simon Peter following and went into the sepulcher and saw the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. One can only imagine what was going on in their minds and hearts at this time. These closest followers of the Lord Jesus had been with Him daily for three years. They ate with Him. They walked all over Galilee. They listened to Him teach. They asked Him questions in private. He tutored them about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They watched Him do miraculous things with just a word or a touch. He was their hope. The disciples each had their own idea of what hope meant to them personally. Just like you and I do. But they generally believed that Jesus would throw the Romans out of Israel. That He would redeem Israel and be a king. Deliver the Jews from bondage. This is stated very clearly in, in uh, Luke 24. On the road to Emmaus, that resurrection day, two disciples are walking along and they're talking about what had just taken place. They had not seen the Lord Jesus alive. They had seen Him die. So they're discussing this and Jesus comes up and He walks with them and He says, what are you guys talking about? He said, are you a stranger? Don't you know what's been going on in Jerusalem these last few weeks? How they crucified Jesus and this and that. And then they said this, and we believe that it was Him that was going to redeem Israel. Clear as that's what their hope was. I love that story, but that's not what we're talking about today. I believe it's our humanness that focuses on what we want out of a situation. And it usually has to do something with our physical world. My marriage. My job. My paycheck. My health. My family my friends, this nation. Looking at the political year ahead of us, God help us, 
But we're all created to have hope. It's in our DNA. And we all have hope. Now, there's no dialogue recorded between Peter and John in this portion of Scripture. Only that they came, they saw, and they left. It says that they believed. doesn't even say what they believed. Maybe they believed Mary Magdalene's report that he's not in there. Verse 9 states, For as yet they knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. They didn't know. Can't be too hard on them. They had no knowledge that He was going to rise from the dead. Even though He had been saying it all along. Neither did anyone else. Not humanity. Not Satan and his followers. Not the forces of light or darkness or the angels of heaven. Or nobody knew that this was God's plan. In 2 Corinthians 2.8 it says, speaking about the crucifixion and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it says, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's powerful. Only God knew. Only God knew His plan. Jesus said, as early as John 2, He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And the temple he spoke of was his body. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, speaking of the Father, that he would wait for his Son, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, which delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul writes also in Romans about the Spirit. If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus... You get the Trinity thing here? I don't see any nods. Uh, Son, Father, okay. If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. But the point is, only God knew. All of creation all the spiritual realms, light and dark, all of humanity were totally clueless as to what the sacrificial death of Christ entailed. Think of this. Had the devil and his minions known what the death, sacrificial death of Christ would bring about, the tables would have been totally flipped they would have been the ones with using all the effort they could muster to keep this event from happening. They'd have been the ones protecting the Lord. But they didn't know what was going to happen. You know, they thought they had won the day when He gave up the ghost. They thought, we got this. We finally, 
We've been fighting him since the garden. We finally made it. When Jesus stated from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Every sin that ever had or ever would be committed was punished, was paid for. One time, meeting with the family to bury their son who had committed suicide, one of the family members said, is suicide an unforgivable sin? The Lord is so good. He gave me the words immediately to say, if there was one sin not forgiven, not paid for, Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead. Even one. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the seal of God that He has approved and accepted the payment for our sins in full. Romans 4.24 says, He was delivered up for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Mission accomplished. Mission completed. Love requires sacrifice. Great love requires great sacrifice. Any love you have will cost you. Great love will cost you a great deal. Last week, Pastor Greg eloquently described the sacrifice what it looked like. It costs God a lot. And today we see God's approval of that sacrifice with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That word in Romans 4.24, justification, is a legal term. What it means is, there's no case against you. We don't have any evidence against you. To the Christian, it means just as if I'd never sinned. Justification. That is the hard and fast truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was raised for our justification. The case against us has been dropped. So, Peter and John went home. But Mary, in verse 11, stood outside the tomb weeping. Ever been there? I don't just mean grieving over the loss of someone who meant everything to you. Now, there are times in our lives when all seems lost. Our hope is dashed into pieces that can never be reassembled. All that we can do is weep. It's devastating when our hope dies. She stooped down and looked in the 
sepulcher and saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had laid. And they asked her, Why are you weeping? Because they have taken away my Lord. I don't know where he is. Don't know where they've taken him. God bless her. Women are much more in touch with their feelings than men. This scripture points out that this has been around a long time. (laughs) It's an age-old fact that women are more in touch with what's going on around them emotionally than we are, guys. But she said, basically, my hope is gone. I don't know where it is. The last time I saw it, it was right here. As Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sat at the tomb in Matthew 27, until the sun set on that day of his death. They sat there until the sun set on their hope. There aren't words to describe the condition of our hearts at a time like this. You know, we can say words, but sometimes they don't make much sense. We really can't describe what's going on in here when our hope is gone. Been there? If you haven't, You will be during the course of your life, maybe many times. And I hope the Lord brings this message to your mind when you do come into a place where your hope is lost. There's no words, only weeping. There's no hope, only feelings. There's no answers, only questions. It's at times like this that we'll grasp at any straw that we think will give us hope. Looking for deliverance from the dark despair that encompasses us. And yet our hope is right there. When she turned, She saw Jesus. I don't know how long he'd been there. The more I study his word, the more I believe that he has been there from the beginning of time. And he's going to be there until time ends. Sometimes we don't recognize him. Mary supposed that he was the gardener. But he's there. He's here. Now. Still. Standing right there. No matter what things look like through our eyes, no matter how our hearts feel within us, Jesus 
can fix everything with a word. He said, Mary. He could have said, Steve, or Bob, or Pat. He could have named any one of us. And he had. With a word. Your name. He knows your name. In John 10, when he was talking about being the good shepherd, he said, I know all my sheep by name. He said, and they hear my voice and they recognize me. Your name. Jesus knows your name. Just like the prophet Jeremiah, he said, before, you, before I formed you in your mother's belly, I knew you before you came out of the womb. I set you apart. Each one of us has a special spot that he's willing to leave the ninety and nine for and come and say your name. You know, even if we change our name, he still knows us. And he still calls us. When Jesus said Mary, it changed everything. And her hope was restored. I don't think she had a big theological understanding of what the resurrection meant at that time. I don't think she cared about anything but this. Her hope was alive. Master, she said, When we take our eyes off the one who calls us by name, our hope grows dim. It fades. Sometimes to the point where we don't even think it exists any longer. Titus 2 says, looking for that blessed hope, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 says that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Greek word for hope is elpisi, or it comes from the root elpo. It means to anticipate in a good way. Expectation, confidence. I looked it up in Webster too. It says, a confident expectation that a desire will be fulfilled. To the Christian, it means the virtue that we look with confidence for God's grace in this world and glory in the next. I like that. Webster wrote that. 
That's awesome. Looking for that blessed hope. And when Mary heard her name spoken by the one who loved her just the way she was, that's the way he knew her. That's the way he knows you and me. Just the way we are. Nothing else mattered to her because her hope lived. And not only her hope, but He is our hope. His promises never fail us. He is alive. He has all power. So what are our eyes on this morning? What's in our hearts? How's your hope? Have events unfolded that would make you feel forsaken, betrayed, or abandoned? Have events piled up or stacked up to seem an insurmountable, insurmountable obstacle to your life going forward? There is one who has all power. This same one knows you by name. He is our hope. Further on in this chapter, Jesus called another guy by name, Thomas. He wasn't present when Jesus appeared to the first to the disciples the first time. So he made this point to him. Unless I see with my own eyes and touch with my own hands, I'm not going to believe what you guys say. Later on, Jesus came when Thomas was present, and he told him, Look, touch, believe. Not in a rebuke way, in a loving way. Same with us. We may feel in our hearts sometimes that we have let God down. That may be so. That's not the way He sees it. The way He sees it is, come, I am calling your name. And He said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me and still believe. That's us. We haven't seen him, but we believe in him. I don't even know where I am here. So he calls us by name. He who is our hope. He calls us from right where we are. Not where we could be, would be, or should be. Where you are today. He gave us that blessing. In closing, I would like to say that I am sure that there are some here today whose hope is dim. 
Maybe it's your marriage or your job or your finances. doesn't matter what it is. Your hope is dim. When I said He calls you by name, something sparked in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. That is the spark of hope. Please don't leave here this morning without blowing that spark into a flame. Pastor Greg and others, myself, will be up here after we close this service. And I want you to come and let us pray for you. Come to the one who calls you by name. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that even beyond our understanding, You know every angle of every detail of our humanness, of our lives, and yet You love us. It is amazing grace. It is amazing love. Restore our focus on the One who is our hope, Jesus Christ. Restore our hope to a point where it burns within us for You. In Jesus' name. We're going to close with...